Jessica Nabongo is a wanderlust writer, entrepreneur, and public speaker. In her own words, she is a dreamer looking to craft a life and a career that interconnects her passions and talents. In October 2009, travel entrepreneur and photographer Jessica Nabongo became the first documented Black woman to visit all of 195 UN member states, traveling to 89 countries solo. Her Instagram is filled with vividly inspiring personal stories of her travel experiences, and I personally love how she owns her fights, her wins, and herself. Welcome to the Banitree's Possibility Podcast, Jessica. How's life? Life is good. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> It is such a pleasure, Jessica. It's been so long since we last met. The world has changed, huh? Yeah, it seems so. <laughs> I mean, you're in Bali, I'm in Michigan, and the last time we saw each other, we were in New Delhi. So <laughs> We met at Gurgaon. You had your one flight that you almost lost, <laughs> and I remember taking a tuk-tuk ride just to the way, straight up to the airport, very Jessica style. How does it feel? You've seized the world, you've done your mission, you've done your big goal. What's up? Oh, gosh, what's up? I think... You know, that so that was two years ago. And I finished, luckily, right before the global shutdown. I finished in October. Um, I could have never imagined we'd be where we are now. And obviously, things are a lot better than they were like March, April last year. Um, but I think for me, where I am is I'm in a space of taking life really slow and just feeling like I want to enjoy everything that's in front of me. Right. And that doesn't mean I have to enjoy all of the things that are around me, but just everything that's in front of me. So I think I'm living life in a very intentional and slow way nowadays. Intentionally. So I love the two words together because I feel like that's the shift that almost all great creators that I know, especially around the travel industry, have had that. I was traveling for the last 10 years and that was my job. And just having this this particular time of life, this is a good opportunity to reevaluate a lot of what I'm doing. It's been so good for me personally, just, just, just reconfiguring life and getting back to it with our own sense of what we truly want and let go of what we don't. Um, are there any things that you let go of? Hmm. Yeah, um, I let go of a lot of people, which, hmm. you know, that's not always easy. But I just realized that I was carrying some people, some energy in my life that I really needed to let go. And I feel like since that has happened, my whole world has opened up even more. And everything seems to flow much easier to me and around me. Um, and I think I've just let go. I, I've never been someone who cared much about career. Um, and I continue in that way. I'm like, okay, I always want to have enough money to do the things that I want to do. But I will never allow myself to be burned out. Like that's not something that I enjoy and I'm in therapy and my therapist has been really good um, about reminding me of this and making sure that I say no when I really want to say no. It's surprising that you say that, but I see your feet and I'm like, Jessica is everywhere. She's just, she's like doing this crazy party and next moment she's in another country and she's doing it for a week. You can tell that you have your slots and you're busy. But at the same time, as you mentioned, you're also intentional in chalking out things after your two years of traveling across the world. I feel like you are so busy right now and that's, that's quite justified. And like, you know, you must have had so many different engagements happening at the moment. So did that change a lot, especially having that sense of glory? I think last year was kind of a crazy year. There was a lot going on. And I think the thing is, for me, I'm a seasoned traveler. Um, 
I, and so I've set up my travel life in a way that I feel comfortable. So like, I rarely stand in any lines, you know, I only fly business or first class so that I'm always comfortable. Um, and most of the time I'm doing things that bring me great pleasure, you know? So, and I, I try to, to watch that. Right. So when someone asks me to do something, one of the first questions I ask myself is, will I enjoy this? You know, um, because, you know, a lot of things people ask me to do benefit them, but it may not always benefit me. And if it isn't going to Mm. necessarily be a direct benefit to me, I want to find joy in doing the thing. Um, So I feel like it looks like I'm super busy, Mm -hmm. but I'm taking it really slow. It could be I could be busier, but I'm choosing not to be. Um, and, And I recognize that my slow is many other people's hyper speed. <laughs> um, but for me, it's still slow compared mm-hmm. to what my life looked at, looked like in 2018, 2019, um, you know, and, and through the years, this is, this is slow for me. I remember you telling me that you had this massive job in pharmaceuticals and you left that, went all the way to Japan. How did yeah. this shift, this frontier moment of choosing the path where you are on right now shift? Was there like one moment when Life just catalyzed yeah. into the the journey that you took. That's really interesting. Um, I think I've always been who I am. Mm. And I think the world around me had to catch up to me and the opportunities. But, you know, if you talk to people who've known me for 25 plus years, which there's a lot of people in my life that have known me that long, they'll say Jessica's the same person. Like, you know what I mean? I was I was with my mom and my sister the other day. I'm the baby. And my sister was like, you've always been a brat. Um, and so, you know, I feel like I've always been the same person. It's just that, you know, the industry has changed or the project I'm working on has changed, but I've really always been the same person. And that person is someone who is confident, capable, and curious. I would say, Um, you know, like my confidence at the age of 21 is what led me to having an amazing career at the world's number one pharmaceutical company and getting promoted three times in two years. You know, Um, it's it's what led me. My curiosity is what led me to Japan, then to traveling for nine months, then to living in London, doing my master's, moving to West Africa with my ex-boyfriend, um, moving to Italy to work for the UN, and then back to the US before finally quitting my job in, 2000, in 2015 um, and just going out and exploring full-time and becoming a full-time entrepreneur. Um, but in all of that, I understand that I'm capable and I understand my skill sets. I understand people. I understand multiple industries. And that's really what's allowed me to be successful across so many industries. You know, so it's not like, oh, I'm good at this job. I think I'm, again, I'm a confident and capable person uh, who can be good at many, many different things. Mm. I love how you put the person before the job and the profession. You're like, I'm a person who's good at people and I'm an explorer. I'm a curious person. And then the career just followed. That's great. I love that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people often say, you know, you meet people and they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I live, you know, like now I have a book coming out. So I love that. So I'm like, I'm a writer. (laughs) Um, But for me, I'm like, why do we care? You know, sometimes I'm interested, like, what do you fill your time with? Because that is interesting for me. Um, So sometimes I do ask people because I'm just curious, like, what do you fill your time with? Uh, But this thing of like identifying and, and evaluating and valuing people 
based on their career, I just feel like it's outdated. I love that. I love that word, outdated. It's time. It totally is time. I did research before I started the conversation and um, you did this. You you said this thing, precisely a National Geographic interview. I don't believe in failure. I don't have the ability to be embarrassed. Embarrassment isn't a natural human trait. In my eyes, it comes from socialization. And I was like, holy grail. (laughs) I love how gracefully, lightly, easily, and effortlessly rebellious your words, your narrative, and even on internet, like most of the times I'm always thinking in my head, I'm like, I hope people take it well. But you, it just seems like you just write in your Apple Notes and then you go ahead and then you publish it. It's done. My job is done. And that's it. I love that side of you. Your rebellion is so effortless oh, and you, you own it. You own it so beautifully. Like, were you always this generatively rebellious, like in person? They just happen. I think maybe the inspiring portion of it is, is um, you know, it's been a bit refined, but I've always been rebellious. That's the thing. You know, I'm the youngest kid. Um, I'm the youngest of three girls. Like I grew up with conservative Ugandan parents in Detroit and I've always rebelled and I'm sure my parents didn't love it. Um I remember, I remember in eighth grade, um, probably listening to a little bit too much Tupac for a 13-year-old, um, <laughs> telling my my math teacher, like, only God can judge me. And like, I was like, not, I don't remember what it was, but I just remember saying that before getting sent to the principal's office, um, which, you know, <laughs> I'm someone who was often on the wrong side of my teachers, but like, it was always a bit difficult for them because I was also one of the smartest students in class. Um, mm. And so I think they found it like a little bit frustrating because it's like then other, you know, other people are looking at me mis- misbehaving. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think I've always had a rebellious spirit, you know, just looking at the jobs that I quit. Like when I left the pharmaceutical company, um, it was in the middle of an economic crisis. Like when I gave my manager my two weeks notice, he gave it back and he was like, I don't think you know what you're doing. Like. Okay, little girl, because, you know, at that time I was 23. He's like, I don't think you know right. what you're doing. We're in an economic crisis and you have a very good, well-paid job. And I was like, I don't care. I'm going to Japan to teach English. You know what I mean? Um, so I've always had that spirit. And, you know, I have to say I'm really grateful to my parents just for cultivating an environment where my needs were met and most of my wants were met. And so that allowed me to sort of have a freedom in me that many people don't have. You know, if you if you have to think about what you're eating tomorrow, your your energy is focused on that. If you have to focus on how to pay the lights or you have to focus on, you know, these very basic things, food, clothing and shelter. A lot of people simply don't have that. Um, So Mm. not only did my parents provide like a warm, comfortable home environment, they just uh, offered me so many opportunities. I played piano from the age of three. I did ballet. I did tap. Um, I played the drums for like a semester. I played the clarinet. I did softball and basketball and tennis and, and all of these different things. So my parents allowed me to just be curious and live out my curiosity out loud. Um, and, and also I think maybe not all the time, (laughs) but I think they allowed me to think for myself. And with that, comes a person who challenges authority, right? Um, Because I don't follow rules just because it's a rule. Because if I can't make sense of the rule, I'm not going to follow it. That's just how my brain works. Like, this is dumb. I'm not doing it. I don't care how old I am. (laughs) I don't care who the authority is here. That's sort of how I feel. And so, um, 
you know, I just think it's it's the cultivation of the environment that I grew up with that allowed me the freedom to be curious and to think for myself. And it shows. It shows literally in all your images. It shows in your life paths. It shows in your words and literally everything you're doing. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if tomorrow you wake up and you're like a fashion designer because that's Jessica. She just does her own thing. So that's that's incredible that you're able to not just have this, but also channelize it into compartments that benefit you and is fruitful and it also inspires others to question simply so question so so cheers to that thank you thank you you're like gonna make me cry i'm like can i get through this (laughs) you know let me let me tell you one thing really quickly and and I, i i tell people this you know i have a large social following and so there's the likes and the dms and the emails and the people saying oh we love you and it doesn't feed my ego What feeds my ego is people who know me complimenting me, people who know me seeing me. Like that is what feeds my ego. I don't care if I have a million followers. Mm. It will never, ever bring me joy. But someone who I know, who I've sat with, who I know loves me, seeing me, that like it just feeds my soul and just fills me up every time it happens. So thank you for that. I totally see you, Jessica. I've been following all your posts, your journey, and I wanted you to do what you're doing. And it's like, I have full on support. You're like one of my people out there in this gloriously big jungle of internet. Going forward, I wanted to ask you this in my last life of travel, I feel like my attention and focus was so model like it was like I was always late with my answering my emails or I would have projects which I will sometimes even overcommit but at the same time just having a ritual or a routine was impossible so constantly on the move and now you're moving to LA so um, how do you manage this inner and outer life like how do you how does the inner world the inner Jessica and outer Jessica cohere into harmony oh that's really good I love that I think I'm always present where I am. So, and by that, I mean, like, I don't get jet lag, right? Because I focus on the time zone that I'm in. A lot of times jet lag is caused by people being somewhere and trying to live in the same time zone where they, where they were. But for me, I'm really present. So like, I wake up every day without alarm at 5am, even if I'm like landing you know, 11 a.m. the next morning, I'm still going to wake up at 5 a.m., even though it's a completely new time zone, because I am I think my body is just synced to the sun. Um, and so that's that's how I am. And so and I go to sleep early, you know, even when everybody's up late mm. partying, I'm like, OK, my body's shutting down on me. Bye, guys. You know, so I don't try to do more than I know that my body is capable of. And I treat my body the same way I do across time zone, um, across borders, no matter where I am, I kind of keep to that. So I don't have any specific routines, but I think as I try to be present in everything I'm doing, that's really what helps. Um, Obviously, I have um, a team. So one girl who works for me, like, you know, we, we communicate on WhatsApp. So she's sort of always monitoring on the business side, what's going on. And she'll just text me questions. Um, if I need to answer something, but I put on my out of office because I'm present, even if it's like, I'm traveling for leisure, leisure is super important too. So I definitely, I make exceptions. Like I remember when I was in Egypt, I had to do like a quick, like 15 minute interview. Um, and I did it laying on the boat in the sun. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, 
I don't know if this internet is going to hold up, but we can try. Uh, so sometimes I make exception, but I'm like, you may hear noise in the background because I'm on vacation <laughs> and I'm making an exception to bring you into my mm -hmm. life. So I think the biggest thing for me is like being present and creating boundaries, both personal and professional. And considering many people who are listening to this podcast are travel influencers or travel mm -hmm. journalists who will want to be in your shoe and want to see how you basically do this because I know this is one of the major things that happen is that when you're having different mm -hmm. times when you're having different schedules having a routine having a discipline having harmony it's a lot of check boxes and the stimulation that comes so how is it mm -hmm. that you balance the inner life and outer life and the discipline and the work life? Is there is it a routine that you follow? Is there a ritual that you follow? Especially like, mm -hmm. for example, you were writing your book and writing a book is a challenge, I'm sure. So how did that pan out, especially um, considering you have one foot in one country and the other foot in the other country? How did it work? Yeah, like, you know, writing the book was super hard. Like, I don't I don't recommend <laughs> writing books like, ooh. Um, so I created a situation that promoted success. I went away. I was in Mexico for six mm. weeks writing my book. I deleted Instagram from my phone. You know, I told my closest friends and family, like, I'm writing my book. So if you don't hear from me for two weeks, it's okay. I'm not dead. I promise you the Four Seasons is taking great care of me. I'm fine. You know what I mean? But I, I create environments of success. So I had to set myself up for that. So that meant I had to be away from distractions. If I was in Detroit, I would be tempted to go see friends. My mom would be tempted to come to my house. So I had to remove myself from the environment that didn't work. Um, the other thing is nothing is urgent. You know, people try to act like, oh, this is urgent. <laughs> nothing is urgent. I am not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a medical professional and I don't have children. So nothing is urgent. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think we all have to recalibrate mm -hmm. our brains. And I, I think I feel like the pandemic did that for us. We have to recalibrate mm -hmm. our brains around what's urgent. I miss mm -hmm. deadlines all the time because it doesn't matter. What's the consequence? Okay. Something else gets thrown <laughs> off, but did anybody <laughs> die? No. Is anybody at risk of death? No. So you know what I mean? I, for me, I've recalibrated my brain and I'm like, nothing is urgent at all. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use that on my clients. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I love that. Those one-liners are the best, Jessica. I don't know how you come up with them. I feel like it just comes out. That's good. It does. It just comes. <laughs> Amazing. Because these are, this is how I really think about things. Yeah. Because I'm like, you know, whenever people are like, you know, you get those emails and it's like urgent colon, whatever subject line. And I'm just like, this isn't <laughs> urgent, you know, we're cause it's, I think it's, it's, I see the world in a way where like, we're all just players. Right. And so we all are taking on these different roles, but when you really step back and you just look at it, what most of us are doing literally doesn't matter. I mean, it may be inspiring and all of those things, but in the grand scheme of things outside of medical professionals and parenting, not mm. that much really matters. You know, that's why it's been easy for me to walk away from jobs because I'm like, this doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? So. Well, cheers to lightness. But as a human of influence and reach, uh, you're aware that thousands of people are reading and consuming your ideas, your mind, your way of being. And your writings, which are mostly very personal and sort of memoir-like, 
usually share a deeper understanding of the human condition in regards to the diverse spaces that you travel to, uh, the many nations and the many people you interact with in your day-to-day life. Is there a personal uh, agenda or a personal thing that you stand for in in the space that you inhabit, in the writings that you do, in the photos that you post? Is there something you truly stand for? I want the end of capitalism and I want the end of racism. I want the end of homophobia, transphobia, queerphobia, fat phobia. I literally just want everybody to love a stranger as they would their best friend. You know what I mean? Not the way they love their mother or their child, because sometimes those relationships can get mucky. You choose your best friend. And when you choose that best friend, you Mm -hmm. love them. Imagine if we all loved and treated strangers, every single stranger, like they were our best friend. Imagine the world that we would live in. We wouldn't be exploiting people for labor. We wouldn't be taking advantage of poor people in poor countries just because we can. We wouldn't be dumping our garbage in poor countries just because we can. You know, we wouldn't be focusing on how can we use a robot to do the job of 10 humans. No, we would realize the value of those 10 humans and them having access to capital or whatever it is that they need to have beautiful, full lives for their family. Imagine a world where we all want for every other Mm. person on the planet what we want for ourselves. Because a lot of times we only want that for people we know and people we care Mm -hmm. about. What if we wanted what we want for ourselves for every single person on the planet? And what if we all actually work towards that? We would have no need for government. We would have no need for religion. Mm. We will all just be living in like literally a beautiful paradise because we would all want a lush, beautiful garden to go and hang out in and get food from. Why would you not want that? You want to live in a wasteland? No. So if you want that for yourself and you want it for everyone else, we would all protect the planet. We would protect the environment. We wouldn't have prisons because we wouldn't have crime. So I feel like if we all wanted for ourselves, if we all wanted for other people what we want for ourselves, it would change. And if we all treated every single human that we meet like our best friend, the world would be perfect. I can't wait for that utopia. I'm going to build it. (laughs) Yay to that. I would totally be your biggest collaborator on that part. Um, Your utopia sounds absolutely beautiful. Uh, Where do you think on a systemic and policy level will start uh, practicing kindness as a policy? How can we start that? Destroy national borders. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that National borders, what's what's the challenge with that? I mean, the challenge is it's it's an us versus them. It's my passport is better than your passport. It's you can't come in because I said you can't come in only because because of the lottery of birth, you were born in a specific country and now you you don't get access to my country. But if you were born in, you know, a different country, you could have access. I mean, I think of how difficult it is for my Ugandan family to get a visa to the US, but if you're Norwegian, you can come and go as you please, you know? Um, So, I mean, I think, you know, it starts, okay, on a very basic practical level, it all comes back to love and community. I think, you know, what happened in the beginning of the pandemic was beautiful, right? We heard stories of like 
people doing grocery shopping for the elderly and, you know, people just being selfless, people leaving food and fridges in Brooklyn for just anybody to come and pick up. Uh, There was a selflessness in this community organization in the beginning of the pandemic, which I thought was super beautiful. And it excited me because I was like, oh my God, look at humans. This is going to be great. Like we're going to come out of this change. And then it sort of has now it's like, it's, it's gone the other way, right? Like the, um, the FAA, the, the federal airline association, I don't know, something like that in the U S um, you know, they're reporting more issues of passenger hostility on airplanes than they've ever had before. Like people are fighting flight attendants and it's almost like what the pandemic has done because of the extent of it, the time it's like putting people in solitary confinement. That's a punishment, right? That's the worst punishment in a prison. Why? Because people don't belong in solitary confinement. So what has happened with the pandemic is many people have Mm -hmm. been caged and they've come out and they're like, they don't know how to be around human beings. And they've almost in many ways, they've lost what it means to be human because we're not in community. And so, you know, while a lot of people praise living in the Western world, I live in, in an apartment building you know, in a box on top of other boxes next door to other boxes. I have no community here. Whereas if I think about how people in my mother's village, you know, dealt with COVID, like they're in a village, they're in a community, you know, no one's ever alone because they're all, they all have each other. Um, So I think it's really, I think where we start is people just exploring different ways of being and people really questioning everything that they do every single day, you know, and really choosing to be intentional. If you hate your job, why on earth are you still going there? You know, obviously there's constraints, people need money and all this, but I'm like, what's the value of your mental health? We don't talk about that enough, you know, and and we sacrifice mental health all the time in the name of capitalism. And, and we're seeing the fallout from that, right? Like in, in the U.S., there's this great movement of people quitting their jobs. I don't know what people are doing, but I'm glad that people are just like, I don't mm-hmm. care. I, I'll figure something else out, but I'm simply unhappy and I'm not doing this anymore. I love that people are finding that freedom. Record breaking 4.5 million Americans did quit their job in just November alone, 2021. Uh, it well, seems quite like the world is changing <laughs> as I see it with new cryptos, NFT, blockchains. Uh, there are newer patterns of societies that are coming in. And I think that also the, the, the idea of consumption is changing a lot. Uh, for me, I usually enjoy spending more on the experiences I take than tangible mm-hmm. objects considering I live a nomadic lifestyle I travel a lot so but how is it for you you had a pharmacy job before mm-hmm. you started traveling so did you ever have this like consumption loop or this cycle where you were buying things that you did not need and um, do you think that you questioned like how did that dawn on to you you know um I grew up in the U.S. you know to be clear so I was a consumer like crazy I think about how much I had before I left the U.S. and how much I have now when I have like way more money. You know, I have way less and I have way more money. You know what I mean? And it's because I think living abroad, number one, in traveling around, you just realize what's important. And that's why for me, it always goes back to questioning what you do every single day, which is something I probably started doing maybe like three years ago or something. Um, Because you really 
like I don't shop as much because I ask myself, why am I buying this? You know what I mean? And when you do that, you start to question and unravel and you're like, well, I don't, I don't need this. You know, I don't even like free stuff anymore. Cause I'm like, you know, brands send me stuff and I'm just like, I don't want this. I don't even want it in my space. And I think for me, I've also, I've tried to do things for me. So, you know, when you look at how people dress, I think a lot about Uganda or even other, any other, not any other African country, but let's talk about Uganda. Like I see how people dress, you know, it's not always like, you're not always matching, like that doesn't matter. And I know like sometimes for me, I'm someone who likes clothes and I like dressing, but I do it for me. Like yesterday, um, I was on the phone with my friend and she's like, where'd you go? I was like, nowhere. And she's like, why are you dressed up? I was like, because, you know, I woke up and I felt like I wanted to put on a cute dress. And she said, well, did you leave your house? I said, no. And she said, so why did you do it? I said, it was for me. Like, I mean, I put on perfume every day and I don't leave my house, but I like the way it makes me feel. And so, so sure. when I go out in the world, people are like, oh, you look nice. It's not for you. It's literally for me. And I prove it by, if I'm in my house by myself, I'm still dressing up. I'm still putting on perfume because I, it makes me feel good about me. And when no one else is looking, I still want to feel good about myself. And so I think that we have to stop the the consumption cycle Mm. and take a minute to figure out what makes you feel Mm. good about yourself. Mm. Now, sure. Mm. There are some material things I have that make me feel good. You know, like if I put on a a tight dress, I'm like, Ooh, I feel good about myself. I feel sexy, you know, or I put on jewelry that I designed. I'm like, Oh, I love the way this looks. Um, But, but yeah, that consumption piece, it's interesting because the last few years I spent a lot of time thinking about what's the point of life. And I think about that in the context of what are we doing every single day? And in America, it feels like all we're doing is consuming every single day, right? You go out with your friends and everybody's on their phone. Mm. So it's not, you know, it's not even about community, but everybody then wants to take the pictures that you post on the internet. And then you're like, look at me, look at my friends. When I'm on vacation, I almost talk to nobody on my phone because I'm present and I'm with my friends. And if I wanted to just be texting and talking on the phone, why would I leave Detroit? Like it would be, that's a very Mm. expensive endeavor to just relocate, to be on my phone. When I'm on vacation with my friends, I'm present and I'm like, God, like we're here. And I love that many of my friends sort of adhere to the same principles because otherwise we can all just be at home, double tapping each other's pictures on the internet. But why not be together and be enjoying ourselves and putting, you know, the phone away and just consume each other. We need to consume more of our community than consuming material things. Mm-hmm. The value of undivided attention is quite a luxurious commodity, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. That's what it is. Undivided attention. And you know, I'm not perfect because sometimes my attention is very divided, but I try to be as intentional as possible. Um, but yeah, undivided attention. That is an undervalued currency. I'm like, can we make a crypto with that name? <laughs> that's a good suggestion. Talk so much about utopian utopian worlds and utopian realities. And um, I feel like, let's say, for example, if Jessica decides to make the future world 100 years from now, Jessica's ideal world, as per her, the, the stuff she'd like to see, the stuff she wants this particular planet to become, 
And it's quite a loaded question. So you can go ahead and <laughs> be as expressive as you want and as imaginative. So how vivid would you describe this world 100 years from now, the world we are inhabiting? Where do you see us going? I mean, there's what's possible in mm -hmm. utopia. I mean, in my utopia, I think there's like zero single-use plastic. We found a solution for that um, because it's not like single-use plastic always existed. So we can live without it. Um, and just lush everything, right? Like we all only eat things that come from the ground. There is no need for factories that make crisps and things of that nature and processed foods. We don't need that because everything we need will be coming from the ground or, you know, raising animals and, you know, you don't have to slaughter them <laughs> right away, but like allowing them to live a bit and then whatever. Um, but I think that it's a harmonious world. It's a world with minimal leadership. Um, and it's a world where we all get to create what we want that's positive, right? Because um, we, we don't want leaders who have negative thoughts and then want to expand that. But it's really just a place where everyone feels free and everyone is full of joy. And, and it feels indulgent. You know what I mean? Like, I want to live a life that feels indulgent. Like, I want to become fat off of joy, become fat off of love. You know what I mean? Like, that, like, I can close my eyes. I totally see it. Like, just indulgence, but also, like, we all do what we need to for the community. So whatever your gift is, that's your help. Like, some people are really good at farming. Some people are good mm -hmm. at teaching whatever it is, you bring your gift and then the community supports you with their gifts. But I, you know, I'm a person who dreams big and I believe that anything is possible. And like, you know, now the metaverse is coming and I'm not that interested in it. And what mm -hmm. I'm interested in doing is like moving to like an island and in cultivating my own utopia and inviting other people to come in and like, let's just really live in and what we perceive to be a perfect world. And if you want to leave, you can go on vacation outside of that. But it's possible that you can create a utopia wherever you are. Mm. Basically, collectivizing people, the idea of collecting people and creating utopia, which is based out of the values that we commonly share with having good food, having no plastic, basically just a regenerative way of life, which, which again, is so possible, like it's so easy, but at the same time, it's just being complexified as much as possible. Do you think that there are particular things or particular hacks, especially that we could do at this particular juncture of our life that we could kind of fasten up this hundred year process and be better at living this good life, this, 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 this indulgent life, as you mentioned? Yeah, I think a huge hack is the ability to unlearn, <laughs> which is so mm. hard, right? Like when it comes to like, when you think about public health, right? The hardest thing is behavior change, right? Like people are constantly thinking, how can we get someone to be change their behavior? That's in public health. That's in like capitalism and marketing, everything. How do we get someone to change their behavior? How do we get people to stop drinking water from their tap and start drinking water from a bottle that they're now paying for. You know, that's behavior change. So I think there's a lot to unlearn. Um, so much of our challenges are just unlearning what we've been taught is real life. You know, I think the reason people are drawn to me is because I somehow exist outside of what they know to be normal, right? Like people see me and they're like, how are you doing that? Like, 
oh my God, I wish I could do it. Or I want to be like you. And I always tell people, be like you. But everything you need to do, anything you want to make your wildest dreams come true is already inside of you. I don't need to give you a blueprint. Mm. You have to give yourself permission mm. to do it. So it's we have a lot to unlearn and we have to give ourselves permission to live the life of our wildest dreams. I mean, I literally believe truly that I can do and have anything that I can dream of. Like, I really believe that if I want a yacht, I will get a yacht. You know what I mean? Like, and I mean, that's something material, but like I, one thing that I love is I love bringing my friends together. And so I do that on an annual basis, you know what I mean? Because it's something that brings me so much joy. And some people, people are always like, oh my God, how did you get so many people to come travel with you. Like the Seychelles, there were 55 people. That was my last country. There would have been more if people didn't have kids and other commitments, but 55 people came, um, many of whom hate group trips, but everybody had an amazing time. And so I just think that we have to, the biggest hack is just expanding your mind and your understanding of what you believe is possible. Hmm expanding your mind and whatever is possible, but at the same time, unlearning, mm -hmm. because that's literally the limitation that most people face. And we need to do that in the course of time and probably find out ways to have common values and then create that ecosystem, which is people thousands of years ago were you doing it. So it's not supposed to be that complicated. It's all about unlearning, nevertheless. What a great way to go about it. And I love how simplify things. It's just like everything seems so simple in the world. Jessica, <laughs> just like, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> because hey, it, is. It. it is. It really is. Everything is simple. All right. This was so great. This was so great. Thank you so much for sharing your mind, Jessica. It was, it's so good to see you bloom and blossom. Thank you for sharing us the inspirations of your journey and, of course, collectively dreaming together to a world with brighter possibilities. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that I can like pry the border of Bali open just a little bit so that I can slip in. I can't wait for that to happen sooner or later. I'm sure it will. So until then, we will keep chatting up. And that was Jessica Nabongo in conversation with me, Mukul Bhatia. Thank you everyone for tuning in. And I hope this was an inspiring session for people to take things in hand and move forward with a little more brighter possibilities. See you next time.